In Parashas Lech Lecha, we have the episode of Avram's rescue of Lot. Lot was living in Sodom. Lot got caught in a war between the four kings and the five kings. The four kings vanquished the five kings, including the king of Sodom, and they captured Lot. He was a prisoner of war, spoils of war. And when Avram heard, he, he gathered his men, and he pursued the four kings. He made a dashing, uh, bold raid at night to rescue, to rescue Lot. He succeeded. He defeated the four kings, rescued Lot, and the story had a uh, happy ending. Several years ago, we discussed the question of whether Avram's raid would be required or justified according to classic halacha. There is a major discussion in the postgame as to whether a person is supposed to risk his life to save somebody else's life. We know that if, if a person can save somebody else from harm, from death, without any risk to himself, he's mechayiv to do that. Losamar al damreyecha, hashavas aveda. But if the if the rescue if the rescue effort entails some risk to your life, even if the other person is facing certain death, if you don't do anything, the question is: Should you? Are you even allowed to risk your own life to save? To save uh, to save somebody somebody else's life, that is a major discussion of the poskim. Some say you're to, you're supposed to. Some say it's optional. Some say you're not supposed to. The my my sense is that the consensus of poskim, the kind of the standard view, is that you are not supposed to. Poskim discussed this in the context of things like organ donation. Today, it's become much safer, so the poskim are willing to treat it as little or no risk. But in the early days, where there was risk to the donor. Post can discuss whether it's even you're allowed to, whether you should risk your own life to save somebody else's life. Post can discuss the question in the context of war. And the question, so we, we raised the question several years ago, assuming that Avram Bederachateva was a risky mission. He was uh, some of his own men, 318 men, according to Pshutosh Mikra, according to the Midrash, it was just him and Eliezer. It sounds like it was a risky mission. He succeeded, but the, is that really the, the correct thing to do? Halacha, we, we discussed some perspectives on the question back then. We discussed also Avram's very different reaction when Sarah is taken by Pyro at the beginning of the parasha, where he does nothing, just waits for Hashem to, to intervene. Here, when Lot is captured, he's, he gets very active about redeeming Lot. You'd think his own wife, the Tzedekah Sarah, he'd be even more in more of a hurry to rescue her. So we discussed that question. But tonight I want to focus on one or two particular perspectives on this story, on the question of why Avram did what he did. So first we have the Radak, one of the medieval commentaries. The Radak says, Niktav Sipra Why is this episode written in the Torah? What's the lesson that we learn? You probably think of a lot of lessons, but the, the Radak brings a couple. First he says... Avram's bitachon, Avram trusted Hashem, that even though he only had a few people, he chased four powerful kings. Okay, Avram's bitachon and Hashem. But also he says, another perspective, to inform us, it is appropriate a person should place himself in a dangerous situation to rescue his relative. So the Radak says, it's appropriate to risk your life to rescue a relative. He doesn't put this in the framework of the general question about the halacha of risking yourself to, to, to rescue anybody. Maybe he means a relative is different. Maybe he thinks it's always mutter and it's especially, therefore, desirable for a relative. It's not clear. He doesn't really engage the, the, the halacha discussion on the topic. 
But the Radak already acknowledges that, that well, the Radak says two things. First of all, he says he trusted he had to be talking in Hashem, meaning he didn't feel himself in as much danger, maybe. But then he says, even to the extent that you are endangering yourself, it's appropriate to do so for a relative. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky has a fascinating discussion of Avram's motivation. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky does, does uh, reference the halakhic literature on this question. He says, had Avram asked a Shiloh, had Avram asked uh, a halakhic question, he asked, he had he asked his Rav, should I go rescue Lot? I'm to risk my life to rescue Lot. But Vada, he says, certainly the answer would have been Potter. Says Rabbi Yaakov, you're not Mechuyev. Rabbi Yaakov says, like we said before, you're not Mechuyev to put yourself in danger to rescue someone else. Not Mechuyev. So why did Avram do it? He says, because the Avos were motivated, the Avos conducted themselves uh, in, in, in accordance with an ethical system independent in addition to Halacha. He says, the Gemara says, the Avos were called Yesharim, Sefer Ayashar, a couple of places in Tanakh, refers to Sefer Ayashar, because I'll say that's Bereshis, the Sefer of the Avos that are called Yesharim. What does it mean that the Avos were Yesharim? Says Rabbi Yaakov, again, he's out, if you don't stop and think, if you stop and think about what he's saying, it's a fairly radical idea. He says, everything the Avos did was not Alpidin Torah. Maybe he means not only Alpidin Torah, but not Alpidin Torah, but Alpisechal Yasher, upright thinking, a moral sensibility that's not from the Torah, not according to the laws of the Torah, just an innate, inherent moral sensibility, natural law, they sometimes call this. Hashem created a person with a sense of yashras. A person has a somewhat reliable, at least, moral intuition. What's the right thing to do and what's not? Alpi Yoshiri says, Avram, it was incumbent upon him to make an effort to rescue Lot. Why? Rabbi Yaakov explains, because Avram, found, Avram considered himself responsible for, Lot, for Lot's welfare, because, because Avram's brother, Haran, had died in, or in, back in, back in Orkastim. And the Midrash says, the, 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 there's a beloved, the famous beloved Midrash about Avram being cast into a fiery furnace by Nimrod, who was opposed to his newfangled religious ideas. None of this is mentioned in the Mikra, but this is a well-known Midrash of Tarash Balpeh, that one of the great Nisim, one of the great temptations of Avram, is that he, was, he allowed himself to be cast into a furnace for his religious principles, belief in the one God. He survived. So according to the Midrash... After Avram came out alive, Nimrod told Haran, where do you stand? Do you stand with Avram, or do you, or do you stand with uh, traditional views, the, the pagan polytheistic uh, religion? Haran saw Avram survive. He said, I'm with Avram. They threw him into the Kivshon Eish, and he died. Apparently, he was not as much of a tzaddik, or he was more of a fair-weather friend. He was more of an opportunist. It sounds like he was not as, as deep a maimon as Avram, and therefore he did not merit to be saved. Avram, according to Yaakov, Avram felt bad. Avram felt that this somehow made him responsible for Lot's welfare. Haran died following Avram, and therefore Avram considered himself responsible for Haran's son, Lot, his nephew. And therefore, Alpi Hayosher says Rabbi Yaakov, not halacha, this is not a halachic argument, but Alpi Halacha, he says, Alpi Yosher, what he calls Menschlichkeit, Avram was obligated, was required to mount a rescue effort to rescue Lot. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's the question. So, so Rabbi Yaakov, this is a very, very important question. Rabbi Yaakov, is, what he's saying is a chiddush either way, that, that natural morality, that seichel ayasher can be an independent source of halacha. The question is, what happens if the seichel ayasher contradicts the Torah? If, if saving him al pi is neutral, seichel ayasher says, do it, that's not so radical. If the halacha says, Asir, you're a chassid shota, it's wrong to do it. The question is, can seichel ayasher actually 
modify or override the halacha, that would be a much bigger chiddush. Rabbi Yaakov is not so clear on that point. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what he says a little bit later. May shed some light, some light on that. But yeah, that, that's a crucial point, and we'll return to that a little bit later. Rabbi Yaakov goes on. He says, everything the Avas did, or the way they lived, they lived before Matan Torah. What they did was al piyosher. The Ramadrashim, that they knew the Torah, but Rabbi Yaakov says, I guess, B'derach on a basic level, what they did was al piyosher. That's what Chazal mean when they say, Derach Eretz Kadma Torah. The others conducted themselves with Pederacharetz, Yosher, basic Menshlechite, basic, basic Seichel Yosher, even before the Torah, independent in the Torah, before the Torah, they conducted themselves, they held themselves to a different ethical standard. Rabbi Yaakov repeats this point in his commentary, to, in, his, in, his, in his remark to Yecheskel. In Yecheskel, there's a Pasuk that says that Kleistral is actually criticizing the Jewish people. It, it's, making an, it's drawing an analogy, the Nubby's drawing an analogy between the Jewish people and Sodom. It says, This was the sin of your sister, Sodom. Comparing, I think, Klai Yisrael to Sodom. Gaon, Sivas, Lechem. They had pride. They had satiety. They, 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 they had enough to eat. They had enough bread. They had peace and tranquility. They had calmness. And yet, despite having all these advantages, they were comfortable and happy and peaceful and, and uh, materially well-off. And yet... They did not support Aniyam and Avyon. This is a very well-known idea in Tarsha Balpeh that the, the root cause of Sodom, the, the root failure of Sodom was a lack of chesed. In next week's passion, Vayera, we see, we see worse things. We see a mob, a mob that wanted to uh, assault people. That, 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 that's a more kind of blatant and egregious infraction, but according to the Chazal, the basic flaw of Sodom, there are various midrashim about the way they passed laws, that charity was prohibited, a kind of Ayn Randian, selfishness is a virtue kind of attitude, that altruism is wrong and weakness, and it's against our, our policy. And apparently it all started from that. Later they did terrible things, but according to Chazal, it all started from a, a fundamental ideological opposition to Chesed, and that, midr- that whole Midrashic idea is based on this Pasuk in Yecheskel. In, in the Pesukim in, in Bereshis, it doesn't say exactly what Sodom did wrong. It gives the example of a mob, and it says, And this week's parasha doesn't say exactly what they did wrong, but, but the Pasuk in Yecheskel says that this was the Avon, Sodom HaChoseich, it was Gaon Sivas Lechem, they had plenty of food, and they had material comfort, and yet they, they refused to help out on Yemen of Yon. So, Rabbi Yaakov says, Format in Torah? There's no mitzvah of tzedakah. Is it one of the Shem mitzvahs of Pnei Noach? No. So how, why were they punished for that? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not so admirable, but why were they punished so severely? Dome is the paradigm of destruction, of catastrophe. What did they do wrong? Tzedakah is a non-Jew before Pnei Noach. We're not commanded in tzedakah. Says Rabbi Yaakov, doesn't matter if they were commanded or not. Even Goyim, who don't have the benefit of the Torah, are mechuyev, he says to know things, to know basic things, fundamental things, by just looking at creation and, 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 and making basic moral, arriving at basic moral conclusions. The chiv of tzedakah and chesed with those in need is kiyom ha'olam, it's fundamental to the world, and they, there's no excuse that you didn't have the Torah. Then he goes through again, he repeats this whole, this whole thing, and Emma Sackle thing was put together based on different notes of his, I'm not sure how many times he said this in different ways, but they, they bring the thing about Avram again, that the Avos were Yisharim, that that, that, that Avram's pursuit of the four kings to rescue Lot was not something he was mechuyiv to do, al alacha. But nevertheless, he says, that's the whole idea of being a yasher. And then Rabbi Yaakov says something very interesting, which we'll return to in more detail soon. Al-pi, he, he goes on for a while developing this idea of natural law, of the 
there being an independent ethic aside from what halacha demands. And then he says, based on this yisod, that there's an independent source of right and wrong that we, that we should consider ourselves bound by, even if it's not an explicit sif from the Shulchan Aruch, Nira, he had the following uh, halachic conclusion. Yavachola, someone who's ill, he has to eat some, some meat, he doesn't have kosher meat around, he has to eat something, presumably he means life is in danger, he has a choice, he has two options. Besar Adam, human flesh, or Besar Nevela, non-kosher meat, meat that wasn't slaughtered properly. Which is better? So a very formal technical analysis might say the human flesh is better. Besar Nevela is a lavdaraisa, it's an explicit lavdaraisa, Human flesh is a major machlokus we showed him. Some say it's a lavdaraisa, some say it's an isra some say it's not daraisa at all. But on balance, the, the generally accepted halacha is that it's not an isra daraisa, certainly not a lavdaraisa. So, in terms of the formal, a, a very technical, formal halachic assessment, one might argue that human flesh is preferable. Says Rabbi Yaakov, no, you should prefer the nevela, not the human flesh. He says, Ki There might not be a lav deraisa against cannibalism. Cannibalism, he says, But it's, it's, it's against natural law. It's fundamentally wrong. Everyone understands that it's wrong to eat people. You're right. It's not an isra minatorah. The isra is from seichel And that's an even more weighty isra, he says, than the isra of Nevela, which is a lav deraisa. So this goes back to what uh, Dr. Machmas was saying before. Did, would Rabbi Yaakov say that the Seichel Ayasha morality can override the Torah? The Torah says no, the Seichel Ayasha says yes. I'm still not sure. But here you see Rabbi Yaakov saying that if you have, that we can actually treat the Isser more seriously, you can prefer Nevela over Besar Adam because the natural, the natural moral repugnance that you're supposed to have to Besar Adam can actually push you toward eating Nevela rather than Besar Adam. We'll, we'll return to this point soon, but uh, just keep this in mind. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this, the, the, this discussion soon. The idea of Rabbi Yaakov that the others were called Yisharim and that Yisharim means something different than, not, not contradictory necessarily, but something different from strict compliance with technical halacha, a, a similar idea, a related idea, is found in the Nitziv. The, the Nitziv's Pirush and Chumash Hamek Davar. So the Nitziv has a famous passage in the introduction. He also talks about the idea that the others were called Yisharim. And he says something very, uh, very provocative, very, um, very cutting. He says, it says in Azinu, we discussed this pasuk a month or two ago, it says in Azinu, Hatsur tamim pa'alo, kichal drachap mishpat, keel amun avayn aval, tzadik v'yasharhu. Hashem is righteous, everything he does is just, and so on. Tzadik v'yasharhu. Says Rabbi Yaakov, the... Tzadik v'yasharhu is a tzidok adin. We're accepting upon ourselves the divine judgment of the Chorban Bayesheni. Elsewhere in Azinu, we refer to the, Hashem refers to Kalal Yisrael as Dori K. Shupasal a generation of twisted and crooked people. That was the time of the Chorban. Why did the Chorban occur? Chazal tell us, the first base of Mikdash, they, they committed great Averas, Zara, Gilea Rayosh, Vichasdamim. The second base of Mikdash, it says, the base of Mikdash was destroyed because of Sinashchina, because of baseless hatred between Jews. Says Rabbi Yaakov, Pirashnu, they were not of Devo Dezar and Rishayim like the first base of Mikdash. They kept Halacha. They kept the Shulchan Aruch. They were Tzadikim. Vachasidim. They were even pious. Vamele Torah. They toiled in Torah. They were religiously very from people. They were not Yisharim. They were not straight in their interactions with other people. 
And therefore, it's, uh, uh, due to this lack of Yashras, because of the sin, everyone, they couldn't get along, they, they hated each other, they suspected anyone who they saw conducted themselves differently from them in a matter of Yerush Hashem, anyone who had a different shita and had to serve Hashem, they immediately called them, they called them Tzedukim and Apikursim, heretics and sectarians. And through that, it even came to Shvichas Damim, B'derach Haflaga. He says, And that led to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's the Tzidu Kadin. HaKosh Baruch Hu is Yashar. HaKosh Baruch Hu is Tzadik V'Yashar. He's not just a Tzadik. He's Yashar. HaKosh Baruch Hu considers Yashras. Like Rabbi Yaakov said, Yashras is separate from being a Tzadik. An important Midah. HaKosh Baruch Hu is Eina Sovel Tzadikim Ka'elu. HaKosh Baruch Hu cannot tolerate such Tzadikim, does not tolerate such Tzadikim who are righteous and meticulous and fulfill every formal halacha, but lack Yashras in their relationships with people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu requires that we go even olam, not mimus, not in a twisted and perverse way toward other people even though it's Hashem Shemayim that's not, a, that's not an excuse that causes the Churban Abriya that causes destruction to the world and society and that's what the Avas are praised for the Avas are praised for being Yisharim besides being Tzadikim just like Rabbi Yaakov said besides being Tzadikim they, they acted based on Menshlachayt and Seichel Yashar Rabbi Yaakov says something similar, besides being Tzadikim and Hasidim and Oveh Hashem, of course they were all those things, Ayoser Efshar, the maximum the, the maximum degree possible, they were also Yisharim, they behaved even toward people in the world, even toward, even toward repugnant, repulsive idolaters, even toward them they behaved with Yasharis, they behaved with Ava, and they looked out for their welfare. That's the Kiyom Abriya. We find Avram, he prayed desperately for Sidom. Avram hated Sodom. Sodom Sodom did everything he couldn't, everything he stood for. They they, they stood for the opposite. Tachla Sinna. Nevertheless, Avram was an Avamon Gayim. Just like a father, he says, his son might be behaving in a very distressing way. He might reprehend the way his son is acting, but he's still his son, and he still wants his son to to do well. He still doesn't wish misfortune for his son. Mikolmakam, Shokr Shlomo Vatovo. Avram also. People in Sodom were deplorable. But nevertheless, he looked at them as his children. They're, they're, they're human beings. And, and he, still, he still acted toward them with Yashras. And other examples, Lot, he says, in, uh, in, in the way he acted toward Lot, in this week's parasha. So, so, so like, like Rabbi Yaakov, the Nitziv also focuses on Yashras as being something different from the strict adherence to Shulchan Aruch, to the formal halacha. Rabbi Yaakov focuses on uh, natural law, a sense of innate morality. And uh, the Nitzir focuses on an attitude of uh, y- humanity, of being humane toward other people. It's not enough to be strict and meticulous in, in formal halacha. You have to treat other people as human beings and be and behave with Yashras toward them. I recently saw that Rabbi Victor Miller was a very different type of personality. Rabbi Victor Miller was famous for his uh, combativeness and his intolerance toward those he felt did not deserve tolerance. And, and Rabbi Victor Miller, without mentioning his name, he sharply criticizes this passage of the Nitzif. Someone asked Rabbi Victor Miller, Beis was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. Does that mean there was Sinas Chinam among from Jews? From Jews were guilty of Sinas Chinam? Says Rabbi Miller, absolutely not. No Sinas Chinam among from Jews. Decent Jews don't have Sinas Chinam. What do Chazal mean? It wasn't Shammai and Hillel and their Talmidim who had Sinas Chinam. It wasn't the Prushim and the multitude of the Frum Jews. They were not the problem. Sinas Chinam was the Tzedukim and the Notzrim, the Christians and the Sadducees, the sectarians. They hated the sages. They hated the Frum Jews. They were the ones who had the Sinas Chinam. It was their Sinas Chinam that we suffered for. 
I understand that even some well-meaning writers and speakers have attempted to apply the accusation of baseless hatred to the Frum Jews at the time of the Korban. It's a serious error. In another discussion, he says, I once saw that an Adam Gadol wrote, I won't mention his name, a certain Adam Gadol wrote, he says, he was misled, and on the strength of this mimer, he wrote, unfortunately, the Frum Jews were too critical of each other, and they sometimes suspected each other of not being Frum enough. That's just taken out of thin air. There is no authority for that at all anywhere. The Adam Gadol is obviously the Nitziv. The Nitziv is exactly what he says, that because of Chazal's criticism of the Sinas Chinam of the time, he says the Frum Jews were too critical. As the Nitziv says, they were Tzadikim, they were Hasidim, they were Amele Torah, they were not Tzadikim we're talking about. We're not talking about Notzrim. We're talking about people who were Tzadikim, Hasidim, and Amele Torah. And nevertheless, they, they, uh, they suspect each other of not being Frum enough. They called each other Tzadikim Apikaris. This is clearly a reference to the Nitziv. He says he's misled taken out of thin air. There's no authority for that. He says, all writers who speak on the subject misunderstand it. They blame our poor people for sinas chinam. There's no remez anywhere. There was causeless hatred among the sages and their disciples. Rav Victor Miller is not willing to accept that there was anything wrong with the, the great Chachamim and Tzadikim of the time. But the Nativ felt, said there absolutely was. The Nativ said that's exactly what Chazal were talking about. They were talking about the lack of Yashras, what he calls the lack of Yashras, the, the, the bad behavior of the Chachamim. That's not, it's not, that being a tzaddik, being an Amal Batar is not everything. Being a chassid, those are, those are crucial things. The certainly were those things as well. But there's another dimension to the to, to right conduct that Hashem wants of us, and that is the, and that is to behave with Yashras and not to, uh, and, and not to have such a hostile, negative attitude toward everyone that we disagree with. Yes, yeah, so Rav Victor Miller himself, the Nitziv does not mention Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Rav Victor Miller himself does bring the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, and he has an elaborate explanation of the story as he understands it. I, I didn't read the whole thing carefully, so I don't remember exactly what he says, but you can look it up. He, he has an elaborate rereading of the story of... Uh, so it's actually, actually I, 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 ran, I ran into this... Uh, I, I, I ran into vi- these passages of Rav Victor Miller a little while back, where... A blog, a blog I read, says that the says that segment was destroyed with sinas chinam. Fear of Victor Miller's explanation of that hair, not exactly what you likely grew up with. This is a very litvish person who admires Rav Miller and admires. So I told him, like, that's fine. It's fine to you. It's fine to admire Victor Miller. Victor Miller is very uh, opinionated. In this case, he is challenging. This blog, he calls himself you know, Musings of a Litvish Yid. Mr. Litvak, I said, the, one of the greatest Litvaks of all time, the Nitziv, the head of Velazhin, disagreed with Rav Miller entirely. Rav Miller was coming to uh, dissent from the, dissent from the, from the Nitziv, but the Nitziv was the one who, uh, the Nitziv is the one who says that, yes, that, that there was too much in Eskina. In terms of the Kamsin Bar Kamsa story, so, again, the Nitziv does, doesn't bring that, but Rav Victor Miller does. He explains it as follows. He says, he says that the he says he, he criticizes the, the the simple reading of the story and he says he says that uh, based on Josephus he says Kamsa and Bar Kamsa was a Russia he says I'm not sure which one was a Russia Kamsa two different people Kamsa or Bar Kamsa they were they were from the house of Hordus of Herod they were Rishayim he says that when the he says that the the people, the people at this feast, he said, the Chachamim were there. Who came in? There was this, uh, this Bar Kamsa person came in who was a terrible Russia and a Moser and a, 
now he could spy on the Chachamim, he wanted to listen to them, and then he could cause trouble for them. So this, this person, Kamtsi Bar Kamtsi, he keeps calling him Kamtsi Bar Kamtsi, I'm not sure why, it's two different people. But he says, uh, maybe it's a mistake in the transcription, he was going to be a terrible informer, and he was going to cause trouble for the Chachamim. So the host didn't know what to do, the Chachamim couldn't operate with this person here. So Kamtsi was a terrible person. You see what he did, after he was thrown out, you see he did the most uh, horrible thing possible. So he says that, uh, he said that when he threw out Bar Kamtsa, still Chazal felt it was a sin. Kamtsa was a terrible Russian, he didn't belong there, but still, self called self, he was, uh, he was an informer and so on, but self called self, there was a, the, 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 the Omek it was still something, uh, it was still something wrong. And this wasn't even the real reason for the Korban, he says Hashem was just looking for an excuse, Yushalayim would have been destroyed anyhow, he says, because Baruch who sought a match that would set the fire, he chose this to be the match, poetic justice, not this that caused the Chorban, it's very much not Pashat Shana and the Gemara, but although it's plausible certainly. And he goes on and he says that the he says that the, that's a sin as chinam, he says, doesn't mean the Jews hated each other, that's as silly as could be, it's not realistic at all, the Frum Jews loved each other, the Bashan and Hill, they loved each other and so on they're certainly not the ones that hated each other it was the Rishayim and so on I heard Adam Gadol wrote, as we discussed, and Tziv was misled, and so on. Anyway, you can look at the rest of his discussion, how he explains the whole thing. But anyway, what, what, what the Tziv feels is a fundamental lesson in Yashras, that the whole Sefer Bracious is named after this. Rav Wigner Miller thinks is entirely misguided and wrong, and at least it's wrong with, it's, I mean, he might agree with the idea that it's important to be Yashar, but, he, uh, but he, um, he does not agree that that was a, fail, that was a failing of the Chachamim. Again, I said before that, that, that Victor Miller was uh, more in favor of intolerance. In this, maybe he was in general. In this case, he was just denying that the Chacham were intolerant, but he's, uh, you know, he doesn't accept this criticism of the Chacham. Okay. Going back to Rabbi Yaakov, we mentioned before, Rabbi Yaakov gives that provocative example of the cannibalism. What's, what, what's, what's preferable, he says, cannibalism or, uh, or, um, or treif meat, meat that's in the Vela. Rabbi Yaakov says... Even though, again, he, he, he's basically saying, even though cannibalism on paper seems like a less stringent answer, in, in terms of the Torah, with the, the Torah's formal prohibitions, yes, it might be less less prohibited. But, but once you once you factor in uh, the the menshlachai, the sechalayashar, the the sense of yashras, natural morality, we should understand for ourselves that cannibalism is worse. As we said, that's kind of an example, at least to, to a certain extent, of the Seichel Yashar trumping and overriding, not directly contradicting, but actually uh, outweighing considerations of, of halacha. This position was famously expressed, and the Rabbi Yaakov's expression of this is not, not so well known, I think, but, but it, is, uh, it is more widely attributed to the, to the Doravi, Rav Moshe Shmuel Glasner. I think you have a uh, descendant of his here in the so so Reb Moshe Shmuel Glasner was a great what was, was a was a great Talmud Chacham in Europe about a about a, Nifter about a century ago. He wrote a classic sefer on Chulin called Doravi. So I'm actually learning Chulin. I have not actually used the sefer that much, but although apparently it's a great classic on Chulin. His Hakdama, though, his introduction, in, in, in a certain sense, has gotten even more fame or notoriety than the Sefer itself. In his Hakdama, again, I, never, I have not gone through it from beginning to end, but apparently he sets forth his, his theories of the nature of Torah, the development of Torah, Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat Peh, and morality. And he has some, uh, some interesting and provocative ideas there. And he also discusses this exact dilemma, what's preferable, cannibalism or eating treif, 
And he also invokes this notion, very similar to Rabbi Yaakov, before Rabbi Yaakov, of natural morality, to, to, to argue that cannibalism should be, should, should, should be avoided, is more, is more severe, a, uh, sh- sh- we should abhor cannibalism more severely than Nevela, even though Nevela is a formal prohibition of the Torah and cannibalism is not. Rav Glasner is developing this theory of natural morality, that certain things, even if we can't point to an explicit source in the Torah, we should still understand that they're wrong just because our, our Seichel Ayasha tells us that. Od Mashalachas, he says, Basaradzam, human flesh. According to the Rambam, it's a but it's only an Israsei, it's not a Losasei, which is less stringent. According to the Rashba, it's entirely Mutram in Torah. Now let me ask you, he says, Yaakov's case, and he has a choice. He has a choice. He has, uh, he has meat that was meat that was not shechted, that's just killed, so it's nevela or trefa, one of the yudches trefas, or human flesh. What should he eat? Should we, what, should he, what should he eat? Will we say that he should eat the, the human flesh because it's not an Isra Torah, even though it's a mechok animus, universally accepted? He was writing in the 19th century where the notion of universal morality and today everything is, everything is relative and cultural. There's much less of a belief today that morality is absolute and universal. But his time, he considered it self-evident. Civilized people would all agree that michokanimus, he calls it, just basic norms of civil, civilized behavior, that michlal hanushi, universally accepted as, 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 as true. Anyone who eats or, or feeds someone else human flesh is... Uh, is, is excluded from the from from being a human being, from being a civilized human being, and, and, and so, so you can tell me a person should eat that rather than eat basar, which the Torah prohibited as a simple laugh. He says, "Hayal al adas." Is that conceivable that Anu amanivchar am chacham benavon navar al chok nimus kazeh dilanatkal meisur Torah atma? That doesn't make any sense. He says that's inconceivable, even though yes, in terms of the formal prohibition, like Rabbi Yaakov pointed out. The prohibition of Bessar Nevela is more severe in a formal technical sense than human flesh, but given the natural morality perspective on the matter, ab- inconceivable that the Amma Nivchar should do that. Of course, we would abhor the human flesh and prefer the Nevela. We should note that there, there actually is some halakhic literature on this general question. Uh, of course, we know that in the Tochacha and various places in Tanakh, it, it talks about a terrible onish, the Jews will be forced to eat human flesh. But the, the Gemara has a story about it. But there's actually a, there actually was some halakhic discussion about this in 1973. There was, 1973, there was a, uh, there, was a there, there was an international sensation where there, 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 was, there, there was an international sensation, the, the crash of Uruguay, Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571. It was a flight going from Uruguay to Chile, uh, to Santiago, Chile. It crashed in the Andes in just around now, this time of the year, 13th October 1972, as winter was starting. It was, it was such a remote location. They looked for the plane, but they, they couldn't find it. And they couldn't find the plane. The plane was carrying 45 people, passengers and crew. It, the wreck was uh, 11,000 uh, feet above, 11,710 feet above sea level in the remote Andes, far western Argentina, just east of the border of Chile. So about 11 people died right away. Several people died shortly afterwards, injuries and freezing temperatures. Authorities flew looking for the plane. They couldn't find it. They wound up. The, the survivors, several dozen of the survivors, wound up getting stuck there for 72 days before they, before they were finally rescued. 
many of them died. Thirteen more died. So, so they uh, the total survivors were about by the end of the by the end of this uh, by the end of this by the end of this there were about eight people left or something. They realized they had no they had no food. They had very little food. You know, you think airline food is bad. All they had was some candy, some sweets, fruit, wine, nuts. They had almost nothing. They, so first day they ate these rations uh, for a few days. One guy ate a single chocolate-covered peanut over three days. They realized they were in trouble. There was nothing to eat out there. The rescue wasn't coming. They realized that they were only going to survive if they ate the bodies of those who were dead. They didn't kill anybody. This is not like Lord of the Flies. But they, they, they didn't kill anybody. But they, they knew they would have to eat the people who were dead if they were going to make it out. And apparently there were a lot of very firm Christians. I don't know if there are any Jews on this flight. There were a lot of very firm Christians on this flight who were very, very reluctant to do it. They, they felt, as, as Rev. Glasner of Kamenetsky said, it's just natural morality. How can, we eat, uh, how can we eat human beings? Until they were persuaded, like the Torah says, that the, the need to preserve human life can outweigh even something like cannibalism. If that's the only choice, then, you, uh, then, then they do that. They, some of them couldn't keep it down. They kept vomiting, but the, there were friends they were eating. They, you know, they, they, uh, at high, one of them wrote in his memoirs, at high altitude, the body's caloric needs are astronomical. We were starving in earnest. Not like we say starving. They were literally starving. And they, uh, and, they and so on. They did it. They, 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 they ate there. They, 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 were, they were all Roman Catholic. There were, some of them feared eternal damnation. Some of them said it's like uh, the ritual they have with eating the, the, the body and blood of Yeshu. There is a religious significance to it. They knew they had no choice, so they did it. So they eventually, one of them, I think when the weather warmed, one of them actually walked for a distance of um, a long distance to cross the mountain and to, to finally to make, it, to make it to a settlement where they can call for help. But eventually a few of them, a, few of them, a number of them survived. But anyway, so there, there, there are two chuvas, at least in the postkim around that time, 1972-73, who dealt with this question. I mean, nobody asked them the Shiloh at the time, but this is such an international sensation. There were two postkim of the time who wrote chuvas on whether they did the right thing or not to eat the people. One of them was... Uh, they didn't have Nebela. No, no, no. It, 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 yeah, yeah. It, it, it's different from the case of Glasner or of Kamenetsky. In this case, it was, a, it, was, it was just this or nothing. Right, in this case, it was just die or eat the person. So, yes, and that is the halacham. Both the two posts can discuss this question, this story. Yeah, to kill the person who would be alive is a whole different story. You can't kill somebody. That happened many times. Killing each other, right? Right. Yes, and and that, and that is the halacha. That is the conclusion. That 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 yes, that is the halacha. This question is discussed both by Rabbi Avram Weinfeld in the Leiv Avram, Shuvas Leiv Avram, as well as by Rabbi Ashri in his Shailos of Shuvas Miamakim, and both of them say, of course, the halacha is Pikuach Nefesh is Docha, anything in the Torah, even this natural morality consideration for Besar Adam. So that, that, and even, even Rav Glasner of Kamenetsky agreed if that was your only choice, of course you would do it. The, their question is, if you do have a choice, what's better, Nevela or Nevela or uh, Nevela or, 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 or human flesh? But, but they discuss the basic question, is cannibalism mutter, and they say, of course it is. Rav Ashri, Rav Rayim Ashri, his Chuvas are Shalas Chuvas Miamakim, they're Chuvas that focus on the Holocaust and, and terrible Shalas that occurred during, during the Holocaust. So he, initially he was asked about Flight uh, 571, but he, said, he discusses, the question also was, did Jews eat other people in the camps? He says, he can't say what happened throughout Europe, he says, but uh, as far as he knows, he says, there was no cannibalism 
as far as he knows, there was no cannibalism among the Jews in the, in the area he knew, in the in the Kovna, in the Kovna ghetto. He says he, he he says he did hear cases, he did hear cases of cannibalism among non-Jews. He says he, he says there there was a case apparently of there was there was a case apparently of of Russians Russians who ate a. Uh, Russians who ate a uh, you know, P- Russian POWs who ate someone who had passed away, but among the Jews, he says, among the Jews, he does not know of any cases. He does not know of any cases of um, he does not know of any cases of of cannibalism. And he explains that, that he explains that even though even though um, even though he says the it would be mutter for bikoch nefesh, but but Yisrael. He says he, he says Yisraelim are kedoshim him, and they, they would absolutely refuse to eat human flesh. They just couldn't. Again, like nationally, just such a such a stira to, to basic human decency. He writes, uh, Rav Ashi writes. He says, "What do you know about cannibalism in the camps?" He says, "Of course, it's, of course." It's, he goes through the different the different sheets in Basardim. He says, "Of course, it's mutter mikra din." He says, "Afal bikain." He says, "Lokara begeto kavna." The ghetto the, the ghetto of kavna that he knew that that's where he was. It did not happen. He says. The nearby areas, there was no cannibalism. He says that the, in, there, there were uh, near the near the labor camps of the Jews. There was uh, a camp of Russian soldier POWs, and Jews said they saw the the soldiers uh, cooking someone who had passed away. He says he says uh, a rabbinic colleague of his who was in Terenstadt. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Terenstadt. Says he never heard of anyone eating people there. Al Yisrael Gavaso, but said that he says no matter how starving they were, he says, but they didn't leave their level of kedusha and actually eat people. I was always wondering what Rav Ashri meant. I'm, I'm wondering what he meant. It's a big machlok we shown him whether if the halacha is yaver vali harig, if you're not supposed to give up your life, are you even allowed to? Rambam says if a person chooses to give up his life for a regular mitzvah, he's, he's not supposed to do that. He has no right to do that. Other we shown say it's mikadosh shemayim, it's mutter to do that. Here. I mean, it could be it wasn't Namish Pikoch Nefesh. Overall, obviously, starving in the, in the death camps put your life in danger. Maybe they felt they could just you know, push themselves a little more. It wasn't Namish Pikoch Nefesh. Maybe they felt it's mutter l'kadosh Hashem Shemayim. Even though normally if a person is just sick or starving, it's not a kiddush Hashem to refuse treatment. If a person refuses medicine because it's not kosher, that's also according to all postkim, almost all postkim. It's, it's, only, it's only when someone is trying to get you to do an Avera and you say no, some posts can say that's uh, Kiddush Hashem. Maybe, they, maybe he felt in the death camps that was the situation, that since the Nazis were trying to degrade them and take, take them away from the Torah, besides kill them, maybe they felt it was a question of Kiddush Hashem, but whatever it is, Rav Ashri says there was no, the Jews would not do cannibalism even in the most dire straits, again, because it's such a, hard, such a terrible issue there that they wouldn't do it. I'll call upon him. Both are glass near Enrif Kamenetsky say that even though they implicitly agree that if that was your only choice, cannibalism or, or die, you would do it. But if the choice is treif or cannibalism, better to eat, better to eat treif, because even though in the formal hierarchy of halachic prohibitions, cannibalism is not as severe, but once, you've, once you take into account natural morality and and and, and, and the inherent notion of decent, civilized behavior, it becomes clear that cannibalism is worse, and, and Amanivkar cannot possibly do such a thing. Rav Yehuda Mital, the found, one of the great, great, great Russian yeshiva in the Datilumi community, one of the founder of the Gush, he, he was very interested in this topic of natural morality. He wrote and spoke about it uh, in detail. In the course of his discussions, he brings in also, he brings in this question of, of the Doravi. He brings, he, he brings in it initially as proof of the, how seriously we take natural morality. 
that Adkide Kach, that the Doravi was willing to say, that it's even uh, natural morality is so strong it can even outweigh the concern for eating treif. It's better to eat treif than to violate such a, a fundamental horror of, uh, of natural morality. He says, he brings, he brings, uh, he brings different things. You know, one thing he discusses, I'm not sure I understand his point, but he discusses, we discussed a few weeks ago whether the question, again, back in Pasha's seven by Elik, we discussed the idea of collective punishment, the idea that, that uh, in certain areas of the Torah we say children suffer for the sins of the parents. Even Aaron Idachas, according to some post Kim, the Ramam seems to pass in like some Shittas and Chazal, that we actually execute the wives and children of those who sinned. The Mayor Halevi Abulafia, the Ramas says, How is it possible? Khalilullah to kill children. How is that possible? I, our, our basic morality tells us that that can't be. Again, if the Torah says, do it, you do it. Hashem told Avram, do that, okay, you have to do it. You can't say, I'm not going to do it because it's against natural morality. We have to defer to the Torah. But you can certainly ask questions. How can you say that's the halacha? Ramad didn't say, I'm not going to do the halacha. Ramad said, it can't be, it's the halacha. You, you, you must be misunderstanding. You know, that, that, that can't be the halacha. So I'm not sure exactly how that's relevant. Uh, you know, not exactly the same thing we're discussing. But then the Rav Amital goes on and he says... Cannibalism. So he says, what do you do? He says, the Doravi says, the Doravi says that cannibalism is not as severe, even though it's not formally as severe as eating treif, uh, still, you, you, you have to, uh, some things the Torah doesn't say, it's so posh, the Torah doesn't have to say them. Eating human flesh, it's unthinkable. So he says, he brings the whole discussion to the Doravi, he says, the Doravi has other examples. He says, a person is lying naked in bed, and there's a fire, and he has to run out of the house, he doesn't have his own clothes. He has two choices, run out naked or wear women's clothing. Women's clothing is a lav daraisa. Leil bashkever. Yeah, burn in the house or run out naked. Yeah, burn in the house, run out naked is posh, you run out naked. The question is, your choice is no clothes or women's clothes. Like the cannibalism question, there's no question that either of those are, are, are nidcha for Bikog Nefesh. Women's clothes is what? Because it's a lav. That's his question, right. Women's clothes is a lav. Running out naked is just not nice. It's not sanua, but it's not a lav. So he says, you might think that it's better to wear better around naked. Says Rav Glasner, no. Says, it's a greater sin because it's accepted by all intelligent people. He's excluded, someone who does that is excluding himself from the category. Again, today we have different attitudes, but people do all kinds of things today. But, uh, but back then, you had a kind of Victorian sense of you know, universal morality that uh, a person who does that excludes himself from the category of man, created a B'Tselem Elohim. And again, it's, even though formally speaking it's not a serious anisir, it was pushed to him that a person should do that rather than re- re- wear the women's clothes rather than run out of the house naked. You see how, how strongly Rav Glasner and Rav Kamenetsky took the idea of natural law of Yashris, even if they didn't say you can be over a law because of it, but they said if you have to choose one or the other, you choose the one that might be a law rather than the one that's, that, that's a fundamental breach of natural morality. Even Rav Amital, who is very enthusiastic about the notion of natural morality, though, is uh, somewhat uncomfortable with Rav Glasner's position. He writes, even if Rav Glasner goes too far, when he argues that running into the street naked or eating the meat of an animal that died on its own is worse than its alternative, that might be too much of a chiddush, he says. But one thing is certain, that just because the Torah doesn't ask for something doesn't mean it's mutter. The, the, the basic idea that natural morality should be followed is something that, uh, that, that we definitely accept. Now, this is a very big chiddush. Uh, uh, other modern thinkers have discussed this idea as well, or Varen Lichtenstein, other Roshiva the Gush for many years was famously engaged with this question. He had a famous essay titled, I think, Is There an Ethic Apart from Halacha? 
but the very deep and important questions, and we're not quite doing justice to, to this question in, in our, in our uh, brief share tonight. But one other thing I'll just mention briefly, Rav Asher Weiss, contemporary, great contemporary thinker, Rav Asher Weiss frequently writes and talks about the idea of Ratzon Torah. Rav Asher Weiss also expresses the idea that there are certain things which you can't point to an exact, explicit, formal source, but you cannot, you cannot do it because it goes against Ratzon Torah. Now, in many of these cases, when, when Rav Asher says Ratzon Torah, he just means kind of like, just like the, 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 the liberal jurists on the Supreme Court talked about penumbras when they wanted to create new rights, like right to privacy or abortion. They said it might not be explicit in the Bill of Rights, but it's a, these are penumbras that some of them argue that emerge from the Bill of Rights that uh, the general idea that you see the Constitution cares about different types of privacy, so we should, we should create and extend new privacy rights. So to some extent, that's what Rav Asher means. For example, Tzar Balechaim. He says, even if you can't find a specific source for Tzar Balechaim Daraisa, it's clearly against Ratzonah Torah, because there are so many different places and contexts where the Torah seems to be discouraging cruel, cruelty toward animals. In other places, Rav Asher just says Ratzonah Torah in cases where more like natural morality, I think. With one example that comes to mind, Rav Asher discusses, we know we have a principle of dina de malchus dina, that, uh, that the law of the government, the sovereign government, is binding. Now, in traditional sources, that was always said with regard to money. It just means that, the, that if the government levies a tax and takes your money, it's not stealing, they have the right to the money. Or if they say that Ruvain owes Shimon money, or Ruvain is putter from paying Shimon money, we say that's just, uh, they have the right to do that. The question is, do you actually have a moral obligation to obey the law? The government says, you know, don't... Uh, don't you know, mistreat the environment. Don't you know? Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't take drugs or something like that. Are we obligated to follow these laws? It's not a question of money. It's just a question. The government says, "Don't do this" or "Do this." Is there a moral issue for for someone who follows the Torah to uh, to, to disobey the government? Ravasha goes back and forth on this. Ravasha was discussing the question of building a sukkah in in a case that in, in a way that violates the the, the the zoning laws of the government. It's not, a, it's not a civil. It's not a, it's not a financial question. He said it's just a question of obeying the law. Ravasha says yes, there is that that, that 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 ultimately I think he says that there is you should obey the law, even if I can't find you a specific drush and source. It's Ratzon It's clear the Torah wants you to what wants you to obey the again. How is it clear? One of the big problems when you deal with natural law is. Who says? Especially today, everything is relative. Different people have wildly different. Uh, different people have wildly different ideas about things. He said, "How do you know when the? How do you know? How do you know who's? Uh, you know, who, whose opinions to follow? Obviously, there, Obviously, there's a whole can of worms that you open up once you start to my natural morality. We've discussed in the past. They, 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 they attribute to Salvechik. He, went, he, went, he, he said, or Salvechik was, was a big believer in the kind of a supremacy of the Torah. The Torah has to be the answer and the source of all wisdom. So he said, people understand that chukim, we need the Torah. Paraduma, we need the Torah. Shatmes. People think, mishpatim, don't steal, don't kill. That we could have figured out without the Torah. The, the Torah is just uh, kind of a backup. But that we know anyway. We've discussed this in the past in the and Mitzvah discussions, uh, the different approaches to that question. Is that true? Is that not true? Salvechik says, not true. Even mishpatim, he says, Without the Torah, we wouldn't know what to do. He says, yeah, don't murder, you know, seems obvious. But what's called murder, he says? Abortion. Some people fail it's murder. Some people fail it's a woman's right to choose. Or another, another halacha, he says. The, 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 it says in the Chadal, tell us, if there are ten people, ten people in a boat and the boat is sinking and the only way they can survive is by throwing somebody overboard, can't do it, even if it means they're all going to die. Is that, is that intuitive morality, he says? Is that Seichel is that Yasher? Is that obvious? No. You need the Torah, he says. Without the Torah, we wouldn't know what to do. 
I'm never sure I understood Rav Salvechik's examples. The first one, the fact that people can disagree about something doesn't mean that it's not subject to logic. People disagree about all kinds of things based on logic, and human beings arrive at different conclusions sometimes. That's just the way uh, human thought works. Second example, you know, some things in Allah are counterintuitive, yes, but again, many people would agree, I think. Many people would agree you know, that there are utilitarians who believe that you do whatever will create the most utility for the most people, but most people would not be particularly fond of, let's say, cutting up a child to take out his organs to save, if you can save 10 people by taking the organs out of a child. Most people would not say that you can kill a child to save 10 other people, even though 10 people will be alive as opposed to one. People recognize everyone has a right to life, and you can't just... And in the case of the boat, where everyone will die if you don't throw out one, that I think is maybe is more debatable, and Post can actually, and Post can actually grapple with that question, why does the Torah tell us that? So we can debate to what extent we, we need the Torah from Mishpatim, to what extent the Torah is uh, helping us, but the, the rules really are amenable to logic. But I'll call upon him, the, we have Rav Glasner and Rav Kamenetsky, are, the, are, are very strong proponents of the idea of natural morality, certainly when it supplements and doesn't contradict the Torah, sometimes even when it may override or displace the Torah, like the case of the Cholosheish Prasakana, who asked D1. That last talk we said is controversial. Even Rav Amital, who's enthusiastic about the idea of natural law, is not thrilled, is not entirely convinced by the idea that we can actually set aside a lot of the Torah in, in order to avoid transgressing natural morality. But the basic idea of natural morality, we do have some great acronym who, uh, who, who endorse. But again, how do you decide what it is when it's not universal? Who decides? Who's law? Who's morality? These are obviously uh, difficult and deep questions, which we will not be able to do justice to tonight.